reading this evening is uh, from the Old Testament, and it's uh, Exodus 12. It's on page 68 of the Church Bibles. And we're uh, splitting this, the reading into two. It's uh, verses 1 to 14 is the first section. The Lord said to Moses and Aaron in Egypt, This month is to be for you the first month, the first month of your year. Tell the whole community of Israel that on the tenth day of this month, each man is to take a lamb for his family, one for each household. If any household is too small for a whole lamb, they must share one with their nearest neighbour, having taken into account the number of people who are there. You are to determine the amount of lamb needed in accordance with what each person will eat. The animals you choose must be year-old males without defect, and you may take them from the sheep or the goats. Take care of them until the 14th day of the month, when all the members of the community of Israel must slaughter them at twilight. Then they are to take some of the blood and put it on the sides and tops of the door frames of their houses, where they eat the lambs. That same night they are to eat the meat roasted over the fire, along with bitter herbs and bread made without yeast. Do not eat the meat raw or boiled in water, but roast it over a fire with the head, legs and internal organs. Do not leave any of it till morning. If some is left till morning, you must burn it. This is how you are to eat it, with a cloak tucked into your belt, your sandals on your feet and your staff in your hand. Eat it in haste. It is the Lord's Passover. On that same night, I will pass through Egypt and strike down every firstborn of both people and animals, and I'll bring judgment on all the gods of Egypt. I am the Lord. The blood will be a sign for you on the houses where you are, and when I see the blood, I will pass over you. No destructive plague will touch you when I strike Egypt. This is the day you are to commemorate for the generations to come, you shall celebrate it as a festival to the Lord, a lasting ordinance. Moving on to verse 21. Then Moses summoned all the elders of Israel and said to them, Go at once and select the animals for your families and slaughter the Passover lamb. Take a bunch of hyssop, dip it into the blood in the basin, and put some of the blood on the top and both sides of the doorframe. None of you shall go out of the door of your house until morning. When the Lord goes through the land to strike down the Egyptians, he will see the blood on the top and sides of the doorframe, and will pass over that doorway, and he will not permit the destroyer to enter your homes to strike you down. Obey these instructions, a lasting ordinance for you and your descendants. When you enter the land that the Lord will give you as he promised, Observe this ceremony. And when your children ask you, what does this ceremony mean to you? Then tell them, it is the Passover sacrifice to the Lord, who passed over the houses of the Israelites in Egypt and spared our homes when he struck down the Egyptians. Then the people bowed down and worshipped. 
the Israelites did just what the Lord commanded Moses and Aaron. At midnight, the Lord struck down all the firstborn in Egypt, from the firstborn of Pharaoh, who sat on the throne, to the firstborn of the prisoner, who was in the dungeon, and the firstborn of all the livestock as well. Pharaoh and all of his officials and all the Egyptians got up during the night, and there was loud wailing in Egypt, for there was not a house without someone dead. During the night, Pharaoh summoned Moses and Aaron and said, Up, leave my people, you and the Israelites go. Worship the Lord as you requested. Take your flocks and herds as you have said and go, and also bless me. The Egyptians urged the people to hurry and leave the country, for otherwise, they said, we will all die. So the people took their dough before the yeast was added and carried it on their shoulders in kneading troughs wrapped in clothing in clothing. The Israelites did as Moses instructed and asked the Egyptians for articles of silver and gold and for clothing. The Lord had made the Egyptians favorably disposed towards the people and they gave them what they asked for. So he plundered the Egyptians. This is the word of the Lord. Thank you very much, Brian, for reading uh, for us. Let me pray as we come to this uh, very momentous chapter in, in Exodus. Father, we thank you for your words, and we thank you this evening for the opportunity to, to be in this particular part of your words. Lord, please speak to us uh, through it. Show us how this passage speaks very much to our, our own hearts and lives our great need. Please uh, humble us and excite us through what we discover through your word this evening, we pray, uh, for Jesus' sake. Amen. Well, the moment had finally come. Uh, the greatest warm-up act followed by the greatest entrance. Uh, the warm-up act was delivered by a, a man named John a wild prophet whose mission was to introduce Jesus to the world, to prepare the way for the Lord. Now, 800 years before he came, the prophet had spoken about this prophet who would uh, cry out in the desert and be that great signpost for the Lord's coming. And what were his words of introduction? Look, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Strange, isn't it? Uh, perhaps confusing, but certainly surprising. Uh, just think of the different ways that John could have introduced Jesus. Behold the Son of God, who reveals all of God's godness. Um, behold the Messiah of God, who reveals all his power and authority. Behold the Creator God, who comes with all of that power that God has. All of those things would be true, wouldn't they? Stunning truths to announce the coming of Jesus into the world. But a great prophet signpost to Jesus, announces Jesus with these striking words. Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. And by the way, simply, if we want to understand who Jesus is, we've got to understand, haven't we, uh, what it means for Jesus to be uh, the Lamb. And I can't think of a better place to discover that than here in Exodus 12. 
or a better place in the Old Testament to see how we are to respond to Jesus as God's lamb. And it's a very dramatic chapter, isn't it? Full of uh, drama as we uh, reach the climax of this great showdown uh, between Moses and Pharaoh, between the Lord and the gods of Egypt. So we're going to enter uh, that great drama in just a moment. And we're going to think a little bit too about uh, what that drama says and how it speaks uh, to us. I guess you probably know that uh, many Jews today reenact this event that's described here in Exodus 12. It, it's central to, to their identity uh, as people, uh, a powerful reminder of their roots, uh, a way of remembering who they are. Uh, people rescued and redeemed, gloriously liberated by their God. Of course, it's not unusual, is it, for people uh, to look back to some sort of defining moment uh, to help them work out who they are. So uh, this year, on the 24th of November, uh, that will be a significant day for us in our household. If you're scratching your head trying to work out why, it's the date of American Thanksgiving. Uh, the day when families uh, will gather to enjoy a meal, uh, often turkey, and remember how the Pilgrim Fathers and founders of their nation uh, celebrated the first harvest and God's provision that would enable them to survive that first brutal uh, winter. Today, for Americans across uh, America, and indeed across the world, to, to remember their roots and to remind themselves of their identity and to be thankful to God. We haven't got an equivalent, have we, really, uh, as Brits? Uh, a meal like that or an event like that that we look back to as a defining uh, moment. But I hope this evening, as we look at this chapter, we will discover if we're Christians, uh, we have something here that shapes us and defines us, or at least points to something that defines us, uh, something that tells us who we are as we look through these remarkable events in the book of Exodus. Well, we're going to enter the story and explore some of its details, and then we're going to think a little bit about how uh, this drama is echoed out, as it were, played out in the, the wider uh, book of, of, of the Bible, and then we'll think about how it speaks to us in terms of how we respond uh, to what we read. Well, we do, then we enter this great drama, not at the start, but at its climax, really. Uh, Pharaoh has done nine rounds so far with God, and each one's got more uh, brutal. Um, God has uh, sent down nine promised plagues, and he's revealed his power through them. Uh, Pharaoh's been on the canvas, hasn't he, many times. And yet, uh, his stubborn heart means he keeps getting up, uh, keeps hardening his heart, just as God said he would. Um, but now we come to the final round. And just before the bell rings to start uh, its uh, signal start, we hear, don't we, Moses in chapter 11, verse 4, spelling out what God is going to do. We read those verses, uh, chapter 11, verse 4. This is what the Lord says, declares Moses. At midnight I will go through Egypt. Every firstborn son of Egypt will die. From the firstborn son of Pharaoh, who sits on the throne, to the firstborn son of the slave girl, who is at her hand mill, and all the firstborn cattle as well. There will be loud wailing throughout Egypt, worse than has ever been or will ever be again. But among the Israelites, not a dog will bark at any man or animal. Then you will know that the Lord makes a distinction 
between Egypt and Israel. Well, notice it's very significant that we might easily miss. God promises that he's about to pass through Egypt, through the whole land. Uh, he's coming in judgment. And he's going to pass through the Israelite settlements as well as the Egyptian ones. In other words, whether you're Egyptian or Jewish, God is coming, and that spells danger and death for all. See, this is not primarily a story of political uh, liberation where the Egyptians are the baddies and the Israelites are the goodies, the innocent victims. If that were the case, then the coming of God in judgment would have only spelt danger for the Egyptians. But this deliverance is greater and deeper than we first might realise. Yes, God is going to make a distinction between Egypt and Israel as he comes, but it isn't going to be based on Israel's goodness or even their ethnicity, but actually on God's provision and mercy. And that will become very clear as we get deeper into this story. Not least as we explore God's very clear instructions to Moses and the people about how they themselves might avoid judgment that is about to fall. So let's look at these instructions given that will uh, offer hope to a people and deliver them from this tenth and final plague. Uh, so look down at verse 3 of chapter 12. Each man is to take a lamb for his family. One for each household. If their household's too small, uh, they're not to be exempt, but are required to share a lamb with their nearest neighbour so that no one goes without and everything, everyone has something uh, to eat. And did you notice in verse 5, the lamb chosen can't be any mongrel from the herd, it has to be a male, a, a male in its prime, absolutely perfect and without any blemish or defect. And these carefully selected animals are going to be taken care of. I assume the Israelites looked after their, their, their animals well, but here I think it means that they were to bring them into their homes and to adopt them, as it were, as one of the family for a period of four days. I imagine some of the children might have been quite surprised by that, that mum was okay with that. A lamb given the run of a house. Perhaps they grew to love this little lamb, even gave it a name, perhaps, Sean, perhaps. But then on the 14th day of the month, four days later, at twilight, Sean gets it in the neck. This unblemished lamb is slaughtered, and its blood spilled and collected. Next verse 22, uh, using the leaves of a hyssop plant, that blood is, is painted on the, on the sides and the top of the house, or the door of the house. And then later that night, that same lamb is to be, to be roasted over a fire and consumed, along with bitter herbs and bread made without yeast. And on this occasion, instead of mum telling you not to eat so fast, to chew before swallowing, God says this is to be a, a meal eaten in haste. Uh, sandals on, a uh, cloak tucked in, uh, in belts, uh, bags packed for a quick getaway, because after 400 years, this is to be their last night in Egypt their last night as slaves. What a strange meal. Uh, what a weird and dramatic night. No wonder God anticipates that it will lead to, to questions being asked by wide-eyed children. But why are they to do this? Well, God explains us in verse 12. On that same night, I will pass through Egypt and strike down every firstborn of both people and animals, and I will bring judgment on all the gods of Egypt. I am the Lord. The blood will be a sign for you 
uh, on the houses where you are. When I see the blood, I will pass over. No destructive plague will touch you when I strike the land of Egypt in judgment. See, God's going to arrive. He's going to pass through the land. And in every home, God says there will be a death. Where that lamb has been killed, the blood applied, God promises in his mercy to pass over. Every house sheltering under the blood of the lamb will be safe. But for those who refuse to heed the Lord's warnings, there will, where there's no blood, no slain lamb, the Lord's judgment will fall on the firstborn of each house. Just, a, just imagine for a moment that night when judgment comes. Uh, just imagine the Jewish homes for a moment uh, that night. Uh, perhaps uh, over a meal, after the meal, the children are sent upstairs to bed. And imagine you're the eldest son, the firstborn. Do you think you'd have slept that night? Maybe after a few minutes, Jacob comes down. Dad, have you done it yet? Put the blood on the door? I mean, you wouldn't want there to be any uncertainty, would you? Uh, and if he were the dad, can you imagine saying to your boy, look, look it's been a bit of a day. Uh, quick 40 winks. Uh, get them, I didn't go down. Which moment we watch a bit of football. But then I maybe get round to it. No. Well, as promised, God comes, verse 29, as God declares judgment falls, doesn't it? And soon, verse 30, there's a loud wailing throughout Egypt. On one hand, terrible judgment. On the other, remarkable deliverance and salvation. And you see, it all hinged, doesn't it? It all depended just on one thing. Whether you were sheltering under the blood of a slain lamb or not. You see, there is a distinction made, isn't there? As God promised there would be. It's not based on anything else, not nationality or ethnicity, Egyptian or Jew, not on your track record, whether you were a model citizen or a moral mess. It all came down to one thing, the death of a lamb and the application of its blood over you. And what is the result of this final plague, this great and terrible night of judgment and mercy? Well, finally, an evil and arrogant Pharaoh who dismisses and despises God is humble, isn't he, and submits. Do you notice, as he urges those he, uh, he, he wants enslaved to leave, he asks, doesn't he, even for their blessing. Humble, doesn't it? That's a humbled man. And as for the Egyptian people who were complicit in the slavery of God's people, they too are, are desperate to see the back of their, uh, their, the ones they once enslaved. Verse 36, uh, providing them with gold and silver and clothing for their journey, just as God promised uh, they would do, even back in Exodus uh, chapter 3. And so through this remarkable night, in the midst of that dreadful darkness, God keeps his promise to rescue and to deliver right down uh, to the last detail. Well, these are the dramatic events of the first uh, Passover, the defining moment of rescue and liberation that would define the Jewish people forever. But before we apply this story to ourselves, let's just rewind 500 years or so uh, to a hill in the region of Jerusalem. As recorded in Genesis 22, uh, we find an elderly man, Abraham, walking up a hill with his son, his beloved son. And he climbs that hill, that mountain, to offer 
the son of God's promise, Isaac, as a sacrifice in obedience to God's command. The son is carrying the wood, uh, the father, the tools for sacrifice, and the fire, and the knife. And in the silence, uh, the boy asks a question. Uh, here's the wood, here's the fire, but where's the lamb for the sacrifice? Remember Abraham's response, the Lord will provide. Well, as that boy is strapped to the wood, and the, the knife is raised, the Lord halts, halts that sacrifice and provides a, a substitute, uh, a ram. And that ram dies in the place of the sun. And we read that from that day onwards, that that mountain near Jerusalem was called, the Lord will provide. The Lord will provide. And now fast forward, uh, many hundreds of years, passing over many chapters that speak of lambs and sacrifices, and hear the words of the prophet Isaiah, looking forwards to the, the coming of God's Messiah. His servant. This is what he says of him. These are spine-tingling, breathtaking words. He was led like a lamb to the slaughter. And as a sheep before her shearers is silent, so he did not open his mouth. Isaiah continues, but he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace was upon him, and by his wounds we are healed. We all like sheep have gone astray. Each of us has turned his own way, and the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. We know that 700 years before that uh, remarkable prophecy would be fulfilled, but now hear God keeping his promise. And so now it's the 10th day of the first month. All over Israel, the Jews are bringing their Passover lambs into their homes, and we find Jesus entering the house of God. And on the 14th day, the night of Passover, as Jesus holds a meal of Passover, he's the host. There's no mention of a roasted lamb on the table, but there is a lamb provided. Jesus, the one John declared to be the lamb of God, takes bread in his hands and he breaks it. And says, remember my body broken for you. He pours wine into a cup and passes it round. He says, drink this is my blood shed for you. And then just hours later on a Roman cross, uh, Jesus dies that bloody Passover death. A lamb led to the slaughter. And unlike the lamb in Exodus 12, he goes willingly, uh, knowing the horror of what he's about to experience to rescue and to redeem those who shelter under his blood. Later, Paul, the apostle, looking back over that moment, says these words. Christ, our Passover lamb, has been sacrificed. And Peter, who was in the upper room with Jesus on that very night when that meal was celebrated, writes to Christians, you were redeemed with the precious blood of Christ, a lamb without blemish or defect. And the Apostle John, in the final book of the Bible, where no less than 28 times Jesus is described as the Lamb, you read of heaven responding to Jesus with these words, you are worthy, Christ heaven, because you were slain, and with your blood you purchased people for God from every tribe and language and people and nation. And heaven sings, worthy is the Lamb, who was slain to receive power and wealth and strength and honour and glory and praise. Behold the Lamb of God, who takes away the sin 
the world. Doesn't our understanding of that first Passover shed light on that sacrifice of the Lamb of God? Here's some things that we get to see about Jesus' death through Passover. First, uh, Jesus' death is a death that saves us, that, that delivers us. But from what? Well, the first Passover was to become liberation, wasn't it, from those false gods and overlords, that miserable rule of Pharaoh. And it's true, wonderfully, uh, the good news of the gospel is wonderful news of freedom and liberation from those gods that we serve, the gods that promise so much and yet deliver so little and enslave us. And while that's gloriously true, first and foremost, Jesus' death is a death that saves us from God himself. Do you notice again and again in our passage, it's the Lord who's coming, uh, who's coming in judgment. And it's as though God says to sinful and rebellious people, run for cover, I'm coming. You won't be able to withstand that moment as you are unless you receive my provision, unless you shelter under the blood of the Lamb. And then see too that we are rescued, we are saved through Substitution. Just look down at verse 30 of our chapter. There was not a house without someone dead. So either there was a dead lamb or there was a dead son. If there wasn't a dead lamb, there would be a dead firstborn. Do you see how Passover is, is a substitutionary sacrifice? Jesus' death is an in our place and instead of us sacrifice. On the cross, the Lord became the Lamb. The Saviour became the sacrifice. Uh, the judge became the judged. The sinless one became the slaughtered sin bearer. The Bible is clear, isn't it? There's a day coming, a day when God will come, a day when his just judgment will fall on all sin and evil. But Christ, our Passover Lamb, has been sacrificed. What is demanded uh, from us has been offered for us in our place, on our behalf, by Jesus, the Lamb, the substitute. Well, I wonder if we are trusting in Jesus as that Lamb offered tonight, uh, trusting his death and that blood that was spilled uh, for us. If we're not, there's nothing else that we can shelter under that will protect us from that coming reality, that approaching day. But notice too that the Passover is a wonderful aid, isn't it, to understanding what it means to shelter uh, under the blood, to, to shelter under the death of Islam. Just, to, just imagine for a moment two homes uh, in Egypt that night. In the first, there's great confidence in God's provision. There's a Sure, a sober atmosphere, uh, but great excitement at the prospect of God's deliverance. Great certainty in God's promise that he will uh, see the blood and pass over. Next door, different. It's quite a bit of anxiety, a real nervousness. They, they want to be totally confident in the blood they've painted on the, on the, on the frames of their door. But they're conscious that if any reason God stopped and took a look inside. You'd just be horrified at the mess. If, if he poked his head around uh, the door and saw the shambles, he might have second thoughts. But for all their fears, all their doubts, they've taken God's word to heart, 
they've sacrificed the lamb and they've painted his blood on the door frames of their home. Well, that night comes, and because of the blood of the lamb, both houses are delivered. Both discover that judgment has fallen, but they've been saved by that powerful and precious blood. Well, we might be people, might be this evening, full of confidence. Uh, We might be people full of anxiety, worry and doubt. Perhaps those doubts come uh, pressing in when we're brought face to face with our own messy sinfulness. Just praise God this evening that it's not the, the quality of our lives. It is the quality of Christ's death that matters. As John says, uh, the blood of Jesus, God's Son, purifies us from every sin. So if our eyes are on ourselves this evening, let's lift them once again to that slain lamb. As we finish, isn't it glorious that in Exodus 12, the great command that sort of reverberates through this amazing chapter is that command to remember to commemorate. Chapter 12, verse 14, this is the day that you are to commemorate, to remember, for generations to come. Chapter 12, verse 25, when you enter the land that the Lord uh, is going to give you, um, observe this ceremony, remembering the moment that the Lord passed over the houses of the Israelites and spared you. Isn't it striking? Even before they get to experience that great moment of deliverance, they're being shown how to, to remember it for generations to come. This event remembered in a, in a meal would be woven into the very fabric of the life of this people. They are, if you like, to be people of the slain lamb, rescued people saved by the sacrificial substitutionary death of the lamb. And why is God so insistent about this remembering, about this meal that will help them remember? It's because otherwise they'll forget. And isn't the same uh, for us? Just before Jesus dies, remarkable, Jesus should be consumed with preparing for his own death. And yet he goes to such great lengths to tell his followers how to to remember it, to commemorate it uh, for years to come. This is my body broken for you. This is my blood shed for you. Do this remembrance of me. Jesus says, isn't he, that this death is to be woven into the very fabric of our lives. We are to be people of the slain lamb, the people saved through sacrifice. And so Jesus gives us a, a meal because he knows without it that we will forget that we'll put our trust in all kinds of things, we'll depend on our efforts, our performance, we'll be tempted to think somehow that, it, that they count somehow for God. And each time we, we are to remember the Lamb, remember his death, to remember who we are. Not those who hope in anything we offer, uh, not those even who hope in the quality of their faith, but those whose hope is in the blood of that perfect Lamb of God. And in a moment, as we celebrate that most glorious meal, let's behold the Lamb who takes away the sin of the world. He takes away our sin. See, this event and our remembering it, our celebrating it, is not a one-off, is it? 
It's not even a once a month. It is to be a whole way of life. And perhaps you haven't seen this, but in our remembering in a moment, just as in Exodus 12, our remembering involves eating. We don't just look at the bread and the wine. We eat and we drink. And our passage reminds us that the Passover was a meal. Not only did the lamb provide protection against God's judgment, it was food for a meal to sustain these people on a long and dangerous journey ahead of them. Christ has rescued us from the penalty of sin and from God's judgment of it. But we've still got a journey ahead of us and before we reach our final rest. And bread and wine not only remind us of Christ's atoning death, but it is a meal to sustain us as we seek to make that journey to heaven. We are to feed on Christ, not literally, but in our hearts, to be nourished and strengthened, fueled for that journey, even this week, as we head towards home. Moses wrote these words for people who weren't yet home, but faced great challenges and difficulties. And maybe even tomorrow is a day of challenge and difficulty, a tough day. What's going to keep us going? The fact that Jesus died for me, shed his blood, was a slain lamb. That's what's going to keep me going. That's the food that will strengthen me tomorrow, every day, until I reach home. So friends, let's be strengthened even this evening as we uh, obey God's command to take and eat and to give thanks for God's wonderful sacrifice of that precious lamb. Let's pray. Behold the Lamb of God who takes away sin of the world, who takes away my sin. Please now, as we remember that slain lamb, humble us, encourage us, uh, and nourish us. Till that day when we eat and drink with you, when we are finally home. Until we join in that praise with all those saved people and cry, worthy is the lamb who was slain to receive power and wealth and strength and honour and glory and praise. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.